The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 69. And for those of you giggling because of the most intimate of kisses, we're right there with you, and we salute you for doing so. Today is Sunday, November the 5th. I am joined all the way from New Jersey and fresh off a trip to New York City, Madison Square Garden, UFC 217, Jeff the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you? Although I don't need to ask how you are because I know you're still on cloud nine from last night, uh, having experienced one of the greatest UFC cards of all time in person. But I got to ask for the sake of the show and for the sake of routine, how are you doing on this Sunday evening, my friend? Bill, I have lost my voice. Um, Last night's card was unbelievable. By the time George St. Pierre came out, my voice was gone. Um, but Bill, how are you feeling? I know that you had a good time watching it too. I, you went to a bar nearby? No, I was just, uh, I was at the in-laws in, in Tampa and I was just kind of streaming on the laptop and, uh, texting with you. It was nice. I was drinking a little Knob Creek, you know, one of my go-tos and, uh, man, what a card. I, I was, I was enjoying just kind of being home and living vicariously through you, uh, getting to be there in person. Uh, <laughs> so why don't you kind of, I mean, I'll let you kind of lead the show here. I mean, I, I know I'm usually kind of setting you up, but uh, I want to, uh, you know, give everybody uh, a firsthand or a secondhand experience of what it was like to actually be there. And then, you know, I'll give my commentary on the fight so far. So uh, talk us through the experience, Jeff. Yeah, Bill. So um, top to bottom, this card was absolutely phenomenal. I believe that overall there were only about two fights that ended with a decision uh, out of the entire card. So that was absolutely amazing. Um, I was there for every single fight. Every single fight was amazing. Um, but I had to rewatch some of the fights because uh, it's so hard to watch them from a neutral perspective while you're there. Um, I was lucky enough to actually be sitting near this guy who came all the way from California because he is friends with TJ Dillashaw's family. Uh, his TJ's mom actually works for this guy. So uh, I didn't believe him. So he went into his contacts and he pulled up TJ Dillashaw's contact info. Um, unfortunately, he wouldn't let me have it for to uh for the show but i can't really blame him you don't want to be that guy but um super fun i I was about six beers in so i was on uh some of my uh opinions are are gonna be a little bit biased bill (laughs) but um super fun event um once in a lifetime experience uh um and the the eeriest part was uh, when George St. Pierre came out, uh, you know, I had goosebumps. Uh, there were people from Canada who drove down here. There were also a couple by, sitting by me were a couple of people from Spain 
who had flown out here to um to watch this. So it was it was wow. amazing. Um, but yeah, Bill. Uh, enough of the fanboying. Let's uh, let's jump right into it, Bill. So the main event of the card, as everybody knows, was George Saint Pierre versus Michael Bisping for the UFC middleweight championship. And I'll be honest with you, Bill. Um, uh, I'm I'm forced to eat my words today because uh, overall this entire card, everything that I said wouldn't happen happened. Uh, I thought that no belts would change hands, and it turns out that all belts changed hands. <laughs> uh, pretty insane. So uh, let's start with yeah. George you want me here. to drink, by the way? Yeah, I do definitely. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna buy one in person, and we're gonna put it on Instagram so people know that it happened. But um. Yeah, dude. So the main event, George St. Pierre comes out. The arena explodes. Um, every time George hit a takedown, the fans went crazy. It was absolutely nuts. Um, and it, it was crazy because these are probably the same fans who would have booed George St. Pierre back in the day for going for a takedown and trying to grind it out. Um, but I feel like George, I feel like he improved everything. His striking looked a lot better. His grappling looked uh, really crisp, and, you know, his submission game was was really on point. But, dude, um, he looked a little a little tired going into that third round. Um, I don't know how used to uh, having all that extra body mass on him he is, but um, I think that the biggest surprise for me from this fight was the lack of uh, disparity in terms of size because Bisping didn't look that much bigger than GSP when I was looking at him. Um, mm -hmm. It was crazy. And as everybody knows at this point, I think there's memes about it. Uh, George St. Pierre, third round, catches Bisping with a really hard hook uh, with his lead hand and drops Bisping. He starts going for the, some ground and pound with elbows. At one point, Bisping sits up and George wraps his head around um, Bisping's throat, gets one hook in, then just leans back to finish the choke. Um, mm -hmm. All the credit in the world to Bisping because he didn't tap. He actually went out uh, for a second. So all the credit in the world to Bisping. Uh, super awesome fight. But uh, it was really, like I said, it was hard to, to kind of watch from my perspective. Um, and we actually discussed this last night. I gave the second round to Bisping. I thought it looked better. But, Bill, you had Bisping losing this fight going into the third round. So why don't you give me some perspective from your end? You were probably able to watch it from a more neutral perspective. You didn't have the crowd and emotions feeding into your opinions. So what would you think? Yeah, for sure. I, and I, de I definitely see how you could score the second round for Bisping because he did a lot of damage there. Um, I always give a lot of credit. I'm kind of old school with the way I score fights, and I give a lot of credit for takedowns. But I'll backtrack to the first comments you were making. Yeah, I was surprised at how big GSP looked. Uh, he put on a lot of muscle since the last time we saw him. And uh, he carries it a little bit awkwardly because he has such like a, a funnel V-shape build. Uh, so the extra muscle does look a little awkward on him, and it did seem to wear him out. Uh, usually we see him have cardio for five rounds. Uh, you know, I don't remember last time he was in a fight that wasn't five rounds. Uh, it, you, you have to go back probably eight or nine years. Uh, but And we're, we're also seeing a very lean Michael Bisbing. So Michael Bisbing, a guy who fought, of course, at 205 pounds on The Ultimate Fighter, uh, you would expect him to be the much bigger fighter, but GSP actually looked 
you know, pretty comparable, if not bigger than Bisping. I don't know if it was just, you know, the angles or, or the way their body types are because uh, Bisping is a little more evenly distributed. But, yeah, we did see a very lean-looking Michael Bisping. He looked like he came in great shape. He was ready for a cardio war, which you have to be with GSP. And uh, it was a great fight overall. And I remember saying last week that on paper, I didn't see any way for GSP to win this fight. However, he must have seen something in Michael Bisping for him to call him out after an almost four-year layoff to want to get in there with the middleweight champion. He must have seen something in his game. And, of course, they trained together back in 2006, I believe, and GSP used to get the better of him in the gym. Uh, used to take him down at will. And Bisping said, uh, you know, he was a much worse wrestler then, but I guess not much has changed because GSP was able to take him down at will. Uh, again, last night, he had some awesome high crotch entries with his wrestling, which uh, is a little bit new uh, for GSP. We hadn't really seen that style uh, of high crotch single leg from GSP in the past. Uh, he was more, he, he typically had more of a blast double game that he would set up with his jab exceptionally well. Um, so it was interesting to see. Uh, the improvements in GSP's game. And obviously, you mentioned the submission game. Uh, that was high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. There's a saying in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu when you're at a lower level that you want to go for position over submission, meaning secure a position before you attempt finishing the fight or finishing the grappling exchange. And once you get to a black belt level or a high brown belt level, they say submission before position, uh, which is what GSP did. He snatched up that neck, and then he got his hooks in. Uh, and Michael Bisbeck was already rocked from, I mean, you called it ground and pound, but he demolished him with about 20 unanswered elbows that he was throwing like punches. Uh, so I believe Bisbeck was already out of it by the time the, the choke was put in because he wasn't defending the rear naked choke at all. I, in the post-fight interview, he said that he was. He was trying to hand fight him, but there was no hand fighting going on. And that choke was in so deep. Uh, I know you couldn't hear the commentary. I don't know if you heard it when you rewatched it, but Daniel Cormier said it's over as soon as GSP uh, locked up the rear naked choke. Uh, so that's how you can really tell a high-level grappler when they snatch the neck and then they're able to adjust and get the hooks in on the back. Um, kind of uh, reverse engineering from, from the way you learn it initially because uh, in the lower stages of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you learn get your hooks in first, establish your position, and then kind of hand fight for the submission. But we know he's been training with the Danaher death squad, uh, Gary Tonin and Gordon Ryan and Jake Shields and all those monsters over there at Henzo Gracie's in New York City. So obviously his jiu-jitsu is vastly improved, and, and I was really impressed that he didn't go for a submission until it was time to go for the kill. He didn't roll for leg locks or anything like that, even though he had a few opportunities and Bisping's open guard. He didn't go for anything sloppy. He didn't, he didn't go in for the submission until he knew he had it. Uh, and in my opinion, this was the best we've ever seen George St. Pierre look. Uh, despite the cardio issues, obviously we've seen him have better cardio, but he's not a 185-pounder. Uh, he put on a lot of unnecessary muscle to make it here. Um, you got to wonder if this tarnishes Bisping's record uh, legacy a little bit. We were kind of talking about this last week, how he has more wins than anybody uh, in UFC history. 
and he's beaten some legends in there. And adding GSP to his resume definitely would have made the case uh, to put him in there as in the conversation of one of the greatest of all time. Uh, you know, weight classes aside, uh, he kind of avoided the question from Joe Rogan as to what's next. He said, oh, "Well, I'm not really a 185 pounder." Uh, but he didn't say that he wouldn't stay there uh, if he does. And Robinson, in the near future, uh, he's going to call out Conor McGregor for a super fight. Uh, but I don't know if that would be uh, before challenging Tyron Woodley at 170 pounds. Uh, what are your thoughts, Jeff, on the aftermath of this? Bisping said he wants another fight. Obviously, GSP plans to stick around. Uh, what do you see next for both of these guys? And how does this fight impact their legacy? Uh, respectively, and is this the best George St. Pierre we've ever seen? Yeah, so I'm going to answer the Bisping question first. Um, I think he's going to take another fight, but I don't see him in the title picture anymore. Um, you know, I think he wants to go out with one last win and then, you know, ride into the sunset. <clears throat> Excuse me. And as for George St. Pierre, um, the contract that he signed actually accounted for if he beat Bisping that he would have three fights um, mandatory that he would have to take. So uh, we're going to see him in there three more times. I would love it if one of them was against Tyron Woodley um, <clears throat> for the belt at 170 because like you said he's not a 185 pounder um i'd like to see him against whitaker i think that'd be a really really fun and interesting matchup um but uh what was i gonna say about george st pierre um i to answer your last question about him looking at his best yeah i think i think his striking looked better than it's ever been he went for a superman jab in uh <laughs> in the first round because usually with the superman punch it's your backhand that goes first but he just kind of extended his fist and just jumped into it it was it was awesome to see um you know the whole crowd reacted when that happened uh it was awesome and it's funny because uh where to go back to what you were saying about dc's commentary when i saw george st pierre pull bisping back and lock that up i i stood up because i was like he's got it I was telling the friend I was with, I was like, he's got it. It's done. I was just waiting for Bisping to tap, but he didn't tap. He ended up going out. It was crazy. Um, but, yeah, Bill, that's uh, that's my take on the perspective. But uh, any other thoughts you had on this main event, this really awesome main event? Not really. Um, I I don't really see GSP challenging Tyron Woodley. I know Woodley wants that fight really badly, but GSP is a really smart guy. He knows that. Tyron Woodley's just not a draw, uh, and that he would have to carry the marketing for that. And since GSP's not a trash talker, he kind of has to wisely. I think that's what he did with Bisping. Bisping did a lot of talking to build this fight. I don't think Tyron Woodley would be able to carry that weight. Um, it would be a great fight. Uh, the George St. Pierre that we saw last night, I believe, would be unstoppable in the current landscape of the welterweight division. Uh, I don't see anybody being able to deal with the tools that he's bringing to the table. Uh, the, the fact that he was able to step off the bench after almost four years and put on that kind of performance is unbelievable, uh, really unheard of. Um, but three titles changed hands. So let's go to one of the co-main events. Uh, a lot of bad blood here, a lot of rivalry uh, between two former teammates, TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt. Um, 
and this was part of the reason I, I was saying last week I wasn't excited about this card because you know we had GSP teasing a comeback for the longest time, and then he's stepping into a division where he really didn't belong or fit in. We had a lot of the wind let out of the sails of the TJ and Cody fight uh, because you know the the fight got put off because of Cody's injury, uh, but. You know, I'm fight night right before this fight. I found myself really excited for it. So why don't you uh, talk us through the live experience on this uh, co-main event here, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, this fight was absolutely awesome. Um, I was blessed enough, like I said, to be sitting near uh, close friends of TJ and his family. So, you know, I was I was kind of rooting for Cody Garbrandt, but my opinion quickly changed after six beers and meeting this, uh, this super nice guy. Uh, I'm not going to give his name out on the show. Don't want to get him into any unwanted publicity, but um, super fun. And, you know, Cody was, uh, there was a lot of love for Cody in the arena. Um, you can decide for yourself if that's a pun, but, um, you know, TJ was getting a lot of hate and I felt kind of bad for him because the entire crowd, there was maybe 30 people who came out from uh, from that a little town in California uh, called Angels Camp which is where TJ is from. Uh, so there were about 30 people there cheering for TJ. And the remaining 18,000 and some change were cheering for no love. So, um, Bill, something interesting that I noticed was all three of these title fights ended because of a hook. So it was a hook that put down uh, Michael Bisping before George St. Pierre started, you know, destroying him. And it was first a left head kick that dropped Cody the first time in the second round, um, which was absolutely phenomenal because the entire crowd, except for me and a couple of other people, were chanting, they were chanting, uh, fuck you, TJ. And uh, <laughs> uh, as they were deep into their chant, you know, this head kick comes in, no love hits the ground, and everybody goes silent. And uh, I kind of figured he, he had it from there. Uh, it looked like he hurt. He, he hurt no love pretty bad. I didn't see him, you know, coming back from it. And no love does this thing where he has these big looping hooks and it was throwing one of those in an exchange that TJ threw a tight short hook with his left hand and just caught him before uh, no love could connect because of those big looping hooks. He has such a big windup. Um, and, you know, TJ made him pay for it at close range. Uh, so that was really, really awesome. That was probably one of my favorite fights of the night. Um, you know, like I said, TJ coming out, doing a great job. I thought he had lost the first round because Nolov did drop him towards the end. And I thought he was saved by the bell. But I, I thought he was going to have some trouble in the second round. But he came out hard. He came out smart and got the finish. So, Bill... That was a two-round phenom. What did you think from where you were sitting? No, I thought this was a fantastic fight between Dillashaw and Garbrandt. Uh, and I'm always amazed at how Cody Garbrandt can stay composed on fight night, even though he gets so fired up in the buildup. And I don't think he got emotional in there. I think he got caught because his fight style lends itself to getting caught. If you're in there with someone with fast hands like TJ Dillashaw, because uh, Cody drops his hands a lot. And like you said, he has he throws big looping punches. He likes to have his lead hand down and, and throw the, throw his lead hand from weird angles. 
and you know that leaves some openings and TJ Dillashaw I'm sure has been studying that and capitalized on it they also did release the video of Cody uh, knocking out TJ Dillashaw in training which is kind of in poor taste before the fight but you know I think uh, TJ Dillashaw has a better highlight reel comparatively uh, it, it was interesting the way Cody Garbrandt jumped right back up and got in TJ's face but he was clearly out like he he got in his face and he was yelling at him and, and TJ yelled back in his face uh, and, and they both said right after the fight that they respect each other but they both think that the other is a piece of shit and uh <laughs> which i find hilarious i mean i feel like these two will fight again uh when asked if cody should get an immediate re rematch tj said oh i think we'll fight again but i just finished him in the second round like he's gonna have to work his way back up uh i had a really close fight against dominic cruz i believed i deserved a rematch and i didn't get it uh which is a fair point so he's gonna try and challenge mighty mouse uh, but before I ask you about that, Jeff, uh, I want to talk about the fuck you Dillashaw, fuck you TJ uh, chant because in the commentary, Joe Rogan was like, are they saying what I think they are? And Daniel Cormier was like, yeah, I think so. And I really don't understand it because TJ Dillashaw is such a nice guy uh, kind of venting about how his own feelings about how about him and uh he's like i don't know why they would do that and joe rogan says well maybe it's just fun <laughs> 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 which i think was like a, a subtle jab at daniel cormier <laughs> and uh he was laughing and i don't think cormier found it too funny but i found it hysterical um but what do you think about TJ Dillashaw dropping now to 125 to fight Mighty Mouse? He said his record is bullshit because he didn't want to fight him. I tend to agree with that sentiment. Uh, and he also said that he carries a lot of extra muscle uh, because he's small for a 135-pounder. So uh, he puts on extra muscle so he can fare well in that division. And uh, he should be able to, you know, he, he feels very confident he can make 125 pounds. What are your feelings on that, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I, I would love to see that. I think it's the right time for it. Um, you know, TJ just being an undefeated guy who was cleaning out the division pretty well. So I think I think now's the time. I think the storyline is set. Um, you know, if TJ runs with the whole fact that Mighty Mouse basically dodged him and ran from him, which is what he was saying last night at the Garden, uh, I think we have a really good story on our hands. I would love to see that. I think it would give the flyweight division some actual attention, uh, some better publicity. The only problem here is, Bill, I don't want to see that as a main event. I would want to see that as maybe a co-main. Mm -hmm. um, but then you'd have to really step it up uh, for a main event because, again, this is a super. This would be a super fight. Um, and I just wanted to, real quick, address the whole um, – the fuck you TJ chant because you know TJ you you were talking about how Cody was so composed but TJ is a stone cold killer man mm -hmm. you know nothing got to him all the trash talk leading up to it the the Twitter video that was posted um, Instagram video I mean I apologize and you know he's he was in hostile territory man um, mm -hmm. and as soon as he landed that first head kick that dropped no love the crowd went silent um, dude so all the credit in the world to TJ. I have a, I have a lot of respect for him going in. I have even more respect for him 
after that. And I agree with him. I think that No Love does not deserve a title shot right away uh, mm-hmm. because Bill, one, he got knocked down in the second round, and two, he lost the belt on his first title defense. So, no, mm-hmm. I think he has to work his way back up from the bottom. Um, I think that if anybody's in line, it should be Dominic Cruz, who, you know, one, has beaten the current champion, and two, you know, he did lose a unanimous decision to Cody, but he didn't get finished. Um, so I'd like to see Cruz get a win against Rivera, and then if he wins that fight, uh, fight TJ. But first, I would love to see TJ versus Mighty Mouse. Yeah, I, I think it would make sense for the winner of the Jimmy Rivera uh, Dominic Cruz fight to get uh, the first crack of the title. I would say probably the loser should fight Cody Garbrandt. And then the winner of that would get the next title shot. Uh, you kind of have a great formula here for for a little bit of a round robin at the 135-pound division, which brings a lot of excitement. So uh, that's going to be interesting going forward. And, uh, you know, I, I did believe it was a little early for Cody Garbrandt to get that title shot in the first place, so I agree with you that he shouldn't get an immediate rematch. And uh, he said in the post-fight, uh, press conference that he was willing to work his way back up and he understands if he doesn't get an immediate rematch but uh, that's the kind of attitude you love to see from guys you know w- when they're humble in victory and defeat and you know they know when they have to put the work back in to to get back to where they were uh, so great fight overall definitely not an end to the rivalry between TJ Dillashaw and team alpha male uh, I think these two will definitely fight again down the line. Uh, you know, they both said it's not over. So, you know, and that'll, that'll be fun. And um, I, I think I, I ran a poll on Twitter and I asked who had the most surprising uh, title takeaway last night. And overwhelmingly, I think 89% of you voted uh, that it was Rose Nami Yunus and uh, her defeat of Ioani and Jacek. And what I said about this fight last week was that I thought, and in the last couple of weeks leading up to this, I thought that Rose was not ready uh, for this level of competition and, and for a title shot. But I also said the same thing about Holly Holm not being ready for Ronda Rousey. thought she needed a few more fights under her belt. I thought Cody Garbrandt needed a few more fights under his belt before he fought Dominic Cruz. And... Uh, those two factors were in the back of my mind uh, when I heard this fight was announced, and that's why I thought Rose had a chance. And she wasn't phased by the scare tactics from Ioana leading up to this fight. Uh, but let's get to the fight itself, Jeff. Uh, give us give us the uh, the live feeling from the world's most famous arena. Yeah, Bill, this fight was awesome. First title fight on the card. Third, yeah, first fight to first title fight to change hands. And this one also finished with a hook. Um, it was phenomenal. I thought Rose Namajunas looked unbelievably good against Joanna. I thought she was going to struggle a lot more. She showed improved striking. She showed so much composure, Bill. And, you know, like I said before, I had to eat my words last night because this was one of the things that I didn't think would happen. I thought I was in the same boat as you. I thought she wasn't uh, experienced enough. I thought she was still a little too young, but um, she's only got about, I think that was her 11th fight in the octagon, but she proved me wrong, man. She showed 
a really high level of maturity. And even in the uh, post-fight press conference, she, you know, she was very calm, very relaxed, very composed, and just she seems like she's such a she's grown up so much since that season of the ultimate fighter where we saw her kind of break down when she didn't understand a certain striking combination and she didn't know how to express herself mm-hmm. but um she looked great in there um dropped Joanna with a left hook and then followed up quickly after um and the first time she hurt Joanna cuz she hurt Joanna twice <clears throat> excuse me the first time she did she did what I didn't think she was going to do. I thought she was going to try and swarm her, but instead she stayed composed. She picked her shots and waited for another opening. And when she got it, she capitalized. Um, it was crazy, dude. Uh, all the credit in the world to Rose Namajunas, looking like a real champion there. But, Bill, what was your take on this one? Yeah, I was super impressed with her. And if you had told me that Rose Namajunas was going to beat Ioana Jacek, I would have predicted uh, a submission. Yeah. You know, I, I would have thought that, you know, maybe Joanna would have knocked her down and followed her to the ground, and Rose would have locked up a submission. She's very slick on the ground. I believe a high-level purple belt, or she may be a brown belt by now. Um, but but definitely high-level grappling. Uh, and Joanna had said she wasn't afraid to go to the ground with her. So if you told me that Rose had won the fight, I would have assumed that's how it would have gone. Uh, the, the knockout power is incredible especially in the strawweight division where we don't see a lot of knockout power and we saw it from her in her last fight against michelle waterson even though the fight ended in a submission it was set up with a nasty high kick she's got some insane power for that division and you can't even say that about the former champion yoana she's known more for her volume of punches and just overwhelming girls uh with the with the amount of strikes she throws in their direction not necessarily for for knocking girls stiff, uh, and, and Rose did that. And the fight officially went down as a TKO. But if you watch closely at the end of the fight, Ioana actually, while right before uh, John McCarthy breaks the fight up, you could see uh, very subtly Ioana taps with her right hand, and Rose stops hitting her at that point, and then John McCarthy steps in. Um, so I think the official ruling should be changed, uh, especially since there's instant replay in New York now, which I don't know if you know that they adopted that, Jeff, uh, and which played into some other controversy earlier in the night, I know, uh, and we'll get to that. But, uh, yeah, definitely the most impressive performance by Rose Namajunas and, uh, you know, very inspirational at the end of the fight saying you know just to each other and and this is just entertainment that's the only reason they're being violent and i think she's been kind of emotional about a lot of things going on in the world uh as of late especially in the new york area um just a a lot of terrible news going on so it's good to see a positive figure and a positive role model for people out there uh who's now holding a championship belt and well deserved i'm excited to see what's next for her uh, it, it may be an immediate rematch from Yolani on Jacek. Uh, you know, she was a long-time reigning champion. She almost tied Ronda Rousey's record. And in the post-fight press conference, uh, an MMA journalist I don't particularly care for uh, asked her, 
you know, do you still think you're better than Ronda Rousey, even though you didn't tie her record? And she's like, enough of this bullshit. I, I respect Ronda. I love her. Uh, stop trying to compare me to her. Uh, I'm my own person, and I, I need to move on from this. And that's it. Um, and there aren't too many MMA journalists that I do care for, so uh, it would be pretty hard to narrow down unless you watch the post-fight press conference. And uh, I don't believe in, in fostering any negativity, so uh, we'll leave it at that. So, Jeff, what do you think is next for both of these young ladies here after this uh, championship fight at the Garden last night? So for Joanna, she said in the post-fight press conference that she wanted to take a break, you know, uh, spend some time with her family, which I'm game for. And Rose basically said something to that extent as well, that they both wanted to take a break. And honestly, Bill, I think that Joanna is deserving of a rematch right away. Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, like the, the next fight for Rose, I think, should be a rematch. Um, I don't think that this was a fluke by any means. I think that Rose has been working really hard to improve her striking and overall game. But, you know, it's like how Ronda Rousey was such a dominant champion. Joanna's been the same in the strawweight division. And she essentially cleaned out the division. Um, you know, this was Rose's second title fight. So, um, Joanna's taking out some very game contenders. So I think after some time off for both of them, I'd love to see them go at it again. And, uh, you know, I think that that's just the right thing to do out of respect for Joanna, uh, as having such a big reign as she did. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's a lot of interesting matchups. Uh, you know, seeing Jessica Andrade in there with Rose Namajunas is very tempting. Uh, and, you know, Joanna had plans to move up to 125 pounds after this fight, and uh, obviously that's not going to happen right now. She wants to get back her strawweight championship. I wouldn't disagree with an immediate rematch, but, you know, there are some some other interesting matchups out there. Um, as, as for Joanna, there's no matchup that's interesting other than a rematch uh, with Rose because she's fought everyone else at the top of the division, and you know, beat them fairly handily. Uh, so having a rematch that's not for a title with one of those girls isn't really appealing to me. So maybe she should just take some time off, maybe not get the next crack at the title, but uh, take on the winner of the next fight. Um, and we'll go from there. Uh, so the fight right before that was one of two decisions on the card, and that was Stephen Wonderboy Thompson against Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. And I thought this was an awesome fight. Uh, I thought it, it really was it really put on display how uh, styles make fights. And Jorge Masvidal just didn't have an answer for Stephen Thompson's awkward style, especially his his lead leg sidekick, uh, which he throws at very strange angles and from very strange positions. It was stifling uh, Masvidal, who. You know, has more of a boxing style, and he wasn't able to get into boxing range uh, with Stephen Thompson. Uh, I thought this was a great fight, despite being, you know, one of the only decisions on the card. Uh, I thought it was still very action packed. I thought there was a lot of tension, and it was two very skilled fighters at the highest level going at it. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think it'll result in another title shot for Stephen Thompson. I think. Uh, he's just going to have to wait around until someone other than Tyron Woodley is the champion at that division. Uh, give us the uh, the live take on this one, Jeff. 
yeah, Bill, this was one of the fights where the crowd got really quiet and we were all just analyzing it. It was it was cool. It was like uh, kind of how they do it in Japan, as you know very well, that, you know, everybody kind of stops and just is watching the fight, analyzing it. And you could have heard it. You could have heard a pin drop for most of that fight. There's a few moments where the crowd cheered uh, for some good strikes landed. But uh, yeah, dude, Wonder Boy looked crazy in there. Um, and when I mean crazy, I mean he's he's got such strange angles. He's unpredictable, and you know you gotta love him for walking out to Tenacious D's Wonder Boy. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a I'm a fan of Tenacious D. Really good song, and you know aside from that, this was entertaining, dude. I'm not always a fan of decision fights. But this was good. Um, it was it was like human chess, just seeing Thompson move in and out and just not being there when Masvidal went to hit him. But unfortunately for him, I I agree with you. I don't see him getting a title shot right away. Um, I don't think it's his fault yeah. at all. Yeah, uh, for sure. He's going to have to wait uh, for a title shot until someone other than Tyron Willie is the champion because uh, they just don't have good fight chemistry. Uh, for whatever reason, they're both too hesitant with each other in there. And, you know, whatever, it happens. You're not going to have good chemistry with everybody to get in there with. But I think Stephen Thompson is definitely a, a threat to anyone in that d- division. Um, so there will be some interesting matchups. I think the next title shot, if GSP doesn't take it, will go to a winner of Hobbs and Robbie Lawler. Uh, I think, you know, that just makes sense. Um, you know, those are two guys that are both former champions and, um, you know, I think Robbie Lawler would definitely be deserving of a title shot and, you know, he bounced back from his loss to Tyron Woodley, took the right amount of time off. He fought, you know, a top contender in Cowboy Cerrone and had a great fight with him. And if he beats Dos Santos, I, I see him being next in line. I know Woodley really wants the GSP fight, but I don't see the UFC giving that to him, uh, just because, He's got no bargaining chips because he's he's just not a pay-per-view draw. People aren't going to pay to see him uh, because he has had some very uninteresting fights in his last three outings. All right, so uh, Johnny Hendricks got knocked out, and, you know, whatever. I, I tweeted last night, the only thing I want to see Johnny Hendricks do is have a barbecue-eating contest with the Black Beast, Derek Lewis. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm just – I'm over it, you know. Uh, he missed weight so many times, and he's disrespected the sport uh, too many times. For a guy who wrestled at the highest level, uh, or you know, one of the highest levels, he wasn't an Olympic wrestler, but you know what we consider to be the highest level, uh, he should be able to make weight like a professional. And I have a bad taste in my mouth about it, and I usually don't like writing people off. But after five or six times missing weight, that shows that you have no respect for the fans of the sport who pay to watch you fight. And it shows you have no respect for the people competing against you because you don't uh, meet the terms that are agreed upon in your contract. Um, so I, I know I joke a lot about it, but I, I really hate when fighters miss weight. I think it's it's really disrespectful to a lot of people. And I feel like he and uh, he was put in this fight to lose. Uh, you know, Paulo Costa is a killer. I think they wanted to test him against a name and allow him to make a name of himself off of Johnny Hendricks, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, he was patient in there. He threw some straight punches right down the pipe, and you know he was able to stifle some 
lazy attempts by Hendricks to, to get inside and close the distance in a division that he doesn't really belong in. Um, any thoughts on this one, Jeff? I don't want to spend too much time on uh, Johnny Hendricks, but what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so, uh, you know, wasn't this was one of the fights that I actually went to the bathroom for. I unfortunately made it back <laughs> just in time. Though. So, uh, <laughs> so um, Bill, a lot of people thought that this one was an early stoppage because after um, – uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. You're shaking your head, and I agree with you 100%. So Costa mm-hmm. landed an overhand right, I want to say, drops Hendricks. Hendricks goes for, like, an ankle pick, and Costa's just punching him uh, with hammer fists. And I thought it was a good stoppage because, one, it was a half-assed attempt at a takedown. Two, he had taken so much damage already that I, I thought he was done. Uh, I didn't see him coming back from that. So I thought it was a good stoppage. I disagree with anyone who says it was an early stoppage. But, Bill, something that was not an early stoppage, because this one was right on the button, was the last card of the prelims, which was James Vick versus Joe Duffy. So, Bill, you're always throwing three fights at me uh, to see which ones I would pick. I'm going to throw a couple of fights at you to see which ones you'd pick. So, uh, James Vick, uh, Joe Duffy versus Joe Duffy. Duffy came out really well, looking good in the first round. But in the second round, Vick found his range. Was He was the longer fighter, using his length well, and drops him with a uh, straight left and a right uppercut. Floors Duffy with one second left in the second round. The next one... Um, Oh, this one was really good. So, Ovin St. Prue versus Corey Anderson. So, Anderson uh, – so, OSP took this fight on short notice. I think it was only about two weeks, I want to say. So, Corey Anderson looked great in the first round. He, you know, was taking uh, St. Prue down. He was controlling him, doing well on the feet as well. But then in the second round, OSP came out and landed this vicious head kick. Corey Anderson – as soon as he hit the ground, he was done. And give me one second. There's all right. I'm gonna actually throw four fights at you. Um, mm-hmm. So this was for me. For me, this was fight of the night. Randy Brown versus Mickey Gall. Um, it was a, another decision on the card. Randy Brown came out great in the first round. I kind of had him pegged to win, so he was dominating the first round the entire time. He was on top. Mickey Gall couldn't do anything from the bottom. Second round, Mickey Gall comes out, lands a very nice sweep on Randy Brown and controls him for the round. But in the third round, Randy Brown came out even stronger. He just had a little bit more left in the tank and was able to control Mickey Gall, made it really difficult for him with vicious elbows, just cut him up. Mickey Gall couldn't do anything, couldn't hit any sweeps, any submissions, nothing. Uh, So Brown took that one by split decision, I believe. And then the last fight I'll give you, Bill, is the opening card, the opening fight of the card, Ricardo Ramos Ramos versus uh, Ayman Zahabi, who was actually Firas Zahabi's younger brother. And uh, Zahabi, I had him pegged winning this fight. He was looking really good in the first two rounds, looking good in the third round. But Ramos did this crazy combination that I never thought anyone would go for. First, he goes for a spinning back elbow. Zahabi ducks under it and kind of grabs him and then 
kind of moves away to keep striking. And then Ramos does the one thing I'd never expect anyone to do. He goes for a second straight spinning back elbow. However, this one landed and knocked out Zahabi intra- um, instantly. It was crazy. Um, his head banged off the canvas really hard. Um, I personally was concerned. I think he's I, – just by looking at it, it looked like he was concussed. But I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm just making a guess here. But, Bill, out of those four fights, uh, Ramos versus Sahabi. Um, give me one second. Um, Brown versus Mickey Gall. Ovin St. Prue versus Corey Anderson. Or uh, James Vick versus Joe Duffy. Out of those four fights, and I'm not going into a lot of detail, but which one would you want to go back and watch? Uh I, I didn't actually catch the Mickey Gall fight, so I would want to go back and watch that one, especially since uh, uh, you called it fight of the night and you and I tend to have uh, very similar opinions on these things. Uh, as far as the fights I did see, I got to go with Ramos and Zahavi just because it was such a unique finish. Uh, that second straight spinning back elbow uh, was really unpredictable and – you know, if you're watching these two go back and forth, Zahabi was pressuring a lot more on the feet while Ramos was threatening a lot more with submissions. You know, he was doing some Iminari rolls and going for leg locks and, uh, you know, anything he could trying to grab a limb of Zahabi, who, you know, we know has high-level grappling. Five-star gym with his brother Faraz Zahabi, also George St. Pierre's head coach, for those who don't know. Uh, yeah, spectacular finish. I believe he got a performance of a night bonus. Oh, you know what they did? Dana White made uh, an additional performance of the night bonus and split it in half between Ramos and St. Prue. Uh, so I, I thought that was kind of cool. You like to see uh, guys getting a, a little extra financial incentive. All right, Jeff, let's uh, let's recap. You know, overall thoughts on UFC 217 and also what the people have been waiting to hear. What were you sipping on <laughs> all night, my friend? <laughs> all right. Cause we know it was quite a few things. Yeah. So, uh, so, but like I said, I can't talk today, but, um, overall, dude, this event was absolutely phenomenal. It was a piece of history and to have been there and experienced it in person. Um, it was, you know, that's something that, yeah, I had to pay a little bit of money for, but the experience overall was just amazing. I love going to New York City. Um, not too often, every now and then. But, um, but yeah, MSG, um, I've been there so many times. I love it every time. Uh, the crowd was awesome. It was so cool talking to people from Canada and these people who were sitting behind me from Spain and, you know, TJ's personal friends. It, it was awesome. Uh, and here's what I was sipping on. So I made a day out of it because it's it was a marathon, not a sprint. So yeah, boy. So I started off by going to my friends in New York. He lives in Queens, and no, Astoria. I'm sorry, Astoria. And um, we went to this Irish pub. So I had to start off with a Guinness. It was a Guinness type of day. Um, it was cold, so Guinness type of day. Started with that. Then we bought a couple of Sierra Nevadas. Um, and after the, the Guinness, it turned into a, a hop experience. So we had two Sierra Nevadas. Then when I got to MSG, I had three, um, Goose Island IPAs, which I spread out throughout the entire event because I didn't want to be running to the bathroom too often. 
<laughs> so okay solid strategy so far yeah so um that was it i really didn't want to eat at madison square garden because food was expensive and i needed the money for beer so uh, <laughs> so i ate a big breakfast and a big lunch so i wouldn't be as hungry at night but um real quick before i ask you what you were sipping on i just want to address curtis blades versus alexi olenik because people sure. were a little confused in the arena um so they were using instant replay for the first time which i didn't know until uh someone else had mentioned it to me while i was there and um curtis blades uh had olenik on the floor and as olenik was getting up blades threw a kick at him like a teep kick but he was still a downed opponent because he had a knee on the ground. So it was an illegal strike. Uh, it grazed Olenek, but that wasn't why the the ref stopped the fight. The ref stopped the fight because Olenek had taken some really bad punishment in both rounds. Um, so people thought that um, Blades had gotten disqualified, and I was trying to explain to people, it's probably going to be a doctor stoppage because they had the doctor in there looking at him. And that's what it was. Blades did not get disqualified. He won the fight due to doctor stoppage. And that's what the ref was actually looking at throughout the um, those like two minutes that uh, the fight was stopped completely. Uh, some of you on watching on TV probably saw the ref leave the octagon. He was watching the replay. Um, so I thought that was a good decision. Um, you know, I, I thought the ref did a good job with the situation. It was a weird situation. So I thought he handled it well. But Bill... I was sipping on quite a few things. What were you sipping on? Yeah, so I was doing the Knob Creek uh, last night, uh, the 101 Proof Bourbon. That's one of my go-tos. Um, and luckily, you know, the in-laws always keep it in stock uh, whenever we come by. Um, so that's always a good thing. But I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about what I'm sipping on right now, Jeff. Uh, seen me take a couple of swigs, and you've seen this uh, – caramel brown gold i've been uh <laughs> i've been swigging as we've been talking here and i'm also a little congested if you can't tell too so the whiskey's kind of helping uh break up some of the bad stuff in here so as you know i was uh, in arizona last week for last week's episode if you didn't tune in uh go back and check that one out i talked about uh, my trip from uh phoenix to the grand canyon at back and i had a lot of great booze but i didn't want to talk about it all in one episode i brought back a couple of bottles with me jeff and i'm hoping that there's still some of this left by the time you come down to visit i'm going to do my best uh to be composed and and hide it from myself but um i was at uh beaver road liquors in flagstaff arizona and i got to talking to the gentleman working in there i believe his name was trevor so thank you trevor for turning me on to this grand canyon whiskey uh, this is actually a pretty new release. I believe it's only available in the Arizona area. For those of you watching on YouTube, I'm holding holding up the bottle right now, which has a picture of a uh, you know a little wooden raft going through the uh, river in the Grand Canyon, and it's by Canyon Diablo Distillery, uh, which is actually right in Flagstaff. So uh, the guy at the liquor store had told me that he had been sipping on this uh, a lot lately, so he referred me to it and. Uh, I'm really enjoying it, Jeff. It, it's an American whiskey that kind of drinks like a bourbon. It's got that bourbon smoothness to it. Uh, it it's got so, a lot of vanilla on the front end, which I like. Uh, quite a bit of burn on the back end, but you know the way we take care of that is just adding a couple of drops of water 
and um, water. And uh, for those of you on YouTube, again, I'm holding up a little sifter here, and you can kind of see the light reflecting through uh, this really nice caramel color it's got to it. Uh, and the back end, speaking of caramel, the back end has a nice caramel that it leaves on your palate. So I'm really enjoying this whiskey. Uh, it's, a, it's a really nice, uh, smooth drink. It's won a couple of awards already, and it's only been out for, I believe, a year and a half, maybe two years that they've been putting this one out. Uh, so I'll be looking forward to when they start distributing this to the East Coast. In the meantime, I got a bottle here, Jeff, so let this be some incentive for you to uh, get a plane ticket next time you have uh, <laughs> some vacation from work. And uh, I'm down here and try some. They're loving it. And uh, I, I had a couple of other things out in Arizona. I'm going to spread it out over the next couple of episodes because uh, it's a lot to talk about. And, um, you know, I'm trying to pump the brakes a little bit on the drinking. So I don't want to be drinking new stuff every week just to have things to talk about. Uh, well, I do want to do that. But, you know, I also want to get myself back in shape here, Jeff. You know, can't just be boozing and going on vacations and going to UFCs all the time. we got to be a little more disciplined around here. Uh, and in the meantime, I am going to enjoy a few more sips of this uh, Grand Canyon whiskey. It's uh, 42%, so I believe that's uh, 84 proof, which is pretty standard for whiskey. Uh, it's got a nice kick to it, got a nice little burn if you're into that. And if you're not, you know, a couple of drops of water, maybe a few ice cubes, uh, maybe a little club soda or something. I don't know, whatever you're into. Uh, you know, Jeff and I like the, like the water treatment. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm into right now. Um, uh, fantastic card. Like we said, uh, you can't say enough great things about, uh, UFC 217. I really think New York has redeemed themselves because New York state athletic commission has had some fuck ups the last few, uh, cards that took place there. Uh, they really showed their, their rookie colors in mixed martial arts uh, with the past couple of events. So uh, I'm glad that my home state of New York was able to redeem itself. And, uh, you know, I wish I could have been there in person, but I'm glad I could enjoy it through, uh, through my trusty co-host. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad you were there, Jeff, and you got, you got to enjoy some, uh, some live fights uh, and, and a little piece of history there in New York. Uh, so let's talk briefly about the card coming up next week, November 11th, UFC Fight Night 120 from Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, it's headlined by Dustin Poirier and Anthony Pettis, uh, which is a fight I might have been a little bit more amped up for three years ago or so. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> this potentially still has, uh, you know, fireworks status. And the co-main event is hopefully a retirement fight between Matt Brown Diego Sanchez, um, you know, this card is, is kind of littered with people who, who maybe are a little bit retirement and are hanging on there. Andre Arlovsky's on here, Nate Marquardt, uh, you know, a couple of other names that are debatable uh, as to whether or not they should still be fighting. Uh, any immediate reaction to the fights I listed off here, Jeff? Yeah, dude, this Matt Brown versus Sanchez fight looks phenomenal. And, you know, Pettis versus Poirier, I'm going to disagree with you on this one, Bill. I know we don't disagree on a lot of things, but I think that Poirier versus Pettis is going to surprise you. I think it's going to be better um, than uh, some people expect. So, you know, Poirier, 
he's had a you know a bit of a better run ever since McGregor beat him. And Pettis, I think he's trying to redeem himself. I think he's going to be a little bit more focused. Um, obviously, he tried uh, fighting at 145, wasn't working. Um, but I think uh, he wants another crack at that belt. Um, so I'd like to see him, uh, one, make weight, and two, you know, uh, refocus and really get back into his fighting style, that flashy style that we've come to know and love. Um, but, yeah, I'm really excited for those two fights. A couple of other really good fighters on this card. Um, excited to see Joe Lozon and John Dotson on there. Um, but, yeah, Bill, I, I was so focused on the MSG card that I didn't even pay attention to this one. But now that I'm looking at it, it looks good. I'm excited for it. Yeah, for it. sure. Uh, the, the Clay Guido-Joe Lozon fight is phenomenal. Those are two of my favorite fighters of all time to watch. I don't think either of them have really been in a boring fight, in my opinion. And uh, John Dodson and Marlon Moraes, that, that should be a, a pretty awesome fight. Moraes having a pretty quick turnaround. I believe he just fought recently. Um, but John Dodson coming off a little bit of criticism for his last performance where he kind of played it safe uh, and, and kind of outpointed, I forget who he was fighting, Nick Nick Lentz maybe. Uh, I can pull that up. But in the meantime, uh, those are the two fights I'm looking forward to. And we have two undefeated ladies going at it, Tatiana Suarez and uh, Perea. And you got Sage Northcutt floating around in there. I mean, he's always kind of interesting to the casual fan. He's uh, fighting Michael Quinones. Uh, you got Angela Hill on here. Uh, on the card, some unknowns, which, you know, usually uh, provides some, a lot of entertainment. Uh, still trying to pull up that John Dodson fact here. And it was always Eddie Wineland, his last fight. That was back in April where he kind of played it safe. Uh, see how it goes. He's usually very exciting. Um, but... I think he's got a little bit of bitterness for, uh, you know, how things are going at, at flyweight. And, uh, you know, he was really trying to push the pace against Demetrius Johnson, who kind of, you know, ran the clock on him. So I think he was trying to do the same thing in his last fight. It kind of backfired on him a little bit. So hopefully he gets back to his old style and uh, gets in there with some fireworks. Um, you know, it's hard to get excited for guys like Andre Arlovsky and Nate Marquardt. Uh, because they're always at the point, you know, those are guys who, who were uh, in their prime uh, around the time when I first started following the sport really closely. Uh, so those are guys that I hate seeing uh, in their golden years in the sport and uh, taking unnecessary damage. And, you know, I, I like to remember these fighters like in their prime and in their heyday. So it's a little tough. You know, you get guys like BJ Penn who keep coming back and coming back and, you know, hasn't won a fight in six years or something. Um, it, it gets tough to watch, and it really changes. Unfortunately, it changes your perspective of these guys who were, like, superheroes uh, back in the day. Overall, I think it's going to be a solid card. I mean, you can't complain for a free fight night. Um, I, I will be new house by then. Jeff, uh, uh, closing on the house tomorrow, so... This will likely be the last podcast from this uh, spare bedroom studio uh, that you've gotten so used to looking at me sitting in. So I'll be moving tomorrow night. Uh, hopefully I'll have a, a new TV and uh, cable and everything all set up. 
in the new spot. I actually got cable now, Jeff. Uh, before before this, whenever there was a fight night, I would have to stream on my laptop. Uh, <laughs> but I caved in and I got a new like cell phone and and cable package that that actually wound up being cheaper than I'm paying for my cell phone now. A lot of uh, erroneous information there, but bottom line is I'll have cable and I'll actually be able to watch these fight nights on an actual television, which I'm very excited about. Um, so book your next trip. Uh, around a, a nice UFC event because I actually got myself a nice TV as well. So uh, good things coming in the future. So hopefully it'll improve my uh, improve my skills as an analyst, being able to actually watch on a television instead of on my laptop. Uh, <laughs> uh, other than that, Jeff, uh, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. I mean, I know you're coming off a, a huge high from the UFC 217 at Madison Square Garden, and uh, maybe a huge low from the hangover you might have had today, or maybe not because you paced yourself yesterday. So hopefully it's the latter. Uh, any closing thoughts, buddy? Yeah, Bill. Um, you know, if ever you go, anybody out there, whether you're listening or, you know, watching this on YouTube, if you ever can go out to a UFC event, you know, definitely go and be there for all the fights, man. Uh, so many people missed so many good fights because they ended up showing up uh, after the uh, fight pass prelims or just for the main yeah. card, and they missed a ton of good fights. But uh, definitely an experience I want to go through again. So much fun. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's nothing like seeing it live and in person. Uh, I think I've said many times on on this show that one of the best experiences of my life was seeing the UFC live in Japan at the Saitama Super Arena. Uh and and I got there for the first fight on a card, which was at like eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, it, it was definitely worth it. So I, I agree with you there. Um, you and I have been to an event, have been to the same event, but we didn't know we were both there. Uh, that was the uh, Rumble Johnson Ryan Bader card, which, by the way, Ryan Bader defended his uh, Bellator light heavyweight championship against Lynn Vassell on Friday night. Uh, actually, pretty good fight. And at a pretty decent card from what you told me, but we don't need to get too deep in on that. Uh, any kind of grazing thoughts on that Bellator card from Friday night? Yeah, uh, Bellator is pretty solid. Um, what's her name? Uh, Alimale McFarland becoming mm -hmm. Bellator's first uh, women's flyweight champion. So congratulations to her. Super exciting fighter to watch. Uh, so keep an eye out for her. I think she's going to be champion for a while. Um, and, you know, Phil Davis was on the card, too. I think he did a good job in his fight. Uh, and that's about all I watched for Bellator. I didn't even know there was a card until yeah. I turned the TV on. Phil Davis and his very glistening physique and his uh, very tight pink shorts, I'm sure, uh, put on a show. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, credit to Ryan Bader. I mean, it's good that he's somewhere where he's getting awesome recognition. He's been at a high level for a long time, and uh, – you know, was never really able to reach that peak in the UFC. It was always bad timing for him. So congratulations to uh, Darth Bader. Uh, all right, you got anything else for this week, Jeff? Yeah, my last thought for the week, Bill, and it's that if I arrived Bader, my nickname would be the master instead of Darth. <laughs> yeah. Master Bader. Come on. It's awesome. But that's my thoughts for, for you, Bill. Um so you guys can, you know, laugh at that last pun if you made it this far into the episode. So thank <laughs> you guys for listening, and everybody have a great night.
Yeah, there's no better way to end episode 69 than with a masturbation pun, I guess. Uh, so we'll leave it at that. If you want to get a hold of Jeff, you can get him at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks everywhere on social media. Reach out. Let us know what you're thinking and drinking. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.